I'm very, very focused on a resolution and on restoration. And restoration is something we need to do on an individual and mass social scale. And that's the only way we can now be helpful is to push for more love and grace in the world because we are only going to continue to see a rise of evil if we are contributing to animosity in any way. This is It's Okay That You're Not Okay, and I'm your host, Megan Devine. This week on the show, Jamila Jamil on looking back at past versions of yourself, plus what cancel culture costs us. Stay tuned. There is so much fascinating territory coming up right after this first break. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Before we get started, one quick note. While we cover a lot of emotional, relational territory in our time here together, this show is not a substitute for skilled support with a licensed mental health provider or for professional supervision related to your work. Hey friends. So at first look, the subject of this week's show might seem like a stretch, but really it couldn't be more perfect. The tagline for the show is conversations with interesting people about difficult things how we talk about difficult things, how we relate to each other, how we navigate conflict and our needs for connection, like that's everything. In a lot of ways, how we communicate is more important than the thing we're trying to say. Jamila Jamil is an actress. You might know her from The Good Place or Legendary or She-Hulk. She's the host of the 
popular podcast, I Way, which explores mental health and relationships and chronic illness and a whole bunch of other things. She's the host of the very funny, very not safe for work podcast, Bad Dates. And she's an outspoken advocate on a big range of important issues, which makes her a frequent target for criticism, which we will get into a little later. I first started following Jamila Jamil a few years ago because of her comments on how we treat female celebrities. She broke things down so clearly, showing the very predictable ways we idolize and then demonize female celebrities, tearing them to shreds in the tabloids and on social media for reasons that are often entirely made up or taken out of context in order to generate outrage, which generates clicks. That pattern of adoration decimation is fascinating and horrifying once you start looking for it. It's a pattern that shows up in the ways that we talk about each other and to each other too, not just celebrities, especially when emotions run really high. Now, Jamila is one of the few people I have seen pointing at how we use our words and what that sort of vitriolic cancel culture communication style does to us, what it does to our own minds and nervous systems, what it does to our personal relationships, and the world that kind of communication creates. As we work to build the world we want, personally, collectively, looking at the harm we cause through the words we say and how we say them, like that is such a powerful thing to do. Now, we cover a lot in this episode, so be sure to listen for the questions to carry with you at the end of the show if you need some like, what do I do with all of this information? I also want to hear your thoughts about the conversation coming up with Jamila Jamil. So leave a review of the show on your favorite platform to tell me what you learned or the questions that you have from this episode, or you can tag me on social media at Refuge and Grief. Okay, let's get to it with my guest, Jamila Jamil. I am ridiculously happy to have you here with me today. Like there are so many places that we could begin today. Like today I want to explore being human, which is what a strange thing to do. But like I want to talk about the ways that we talk to each other because I feel like you've been bringing that up a lot. Mm -hmm. And I really love this about you. So recently you said, I'm in a period of transition at the moment, trying to figure out how to show more grace and more hope in humanity and in people. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what you mean by that? I think the last three years have revealed a lot about our society. And when I got into social justice at 19 years old, you know, we were just so used to not being heard. And so we used to have to scream. And so then when I kind of came into a position in social justice, where I was also on one of the biggest TV shows around at the time, I was still screaming, but people were actually listening to me, right? And so I didn't really need to be screaming. I didn't need to be aggressive or shocking anymore, but I think I wasn't really aware of my own position and platform and power because it had happened so fast out of nowhere. And so we were in a culture, especially amongst liberals, of just being so tired and so angry that things were taking so long to get to a place of just basic equity that my frustration was pouring out of me. And that impacted the way that I was delivering my frustration rather than through only fact and and empathy for those who didn't understand me, which is hard to muster, you know, when you've been frustrated for a long time. 
my communication was what you would call like causing according to like Marshall Rosenberg like violent communication it's you did this you, like fuck you your assholes uh etc and so in doing so that seemed to garner me support from other people who also felt pain and frustration and exhaustion and there was a kind of hyper normalization of us speaking to each other that way and I didn't realize that what I was doing was contributing to what would grow to be a very fraught landscape of communication socially politically And over the pandemic, I took a step back and saw the way that people were talking to each other, even very young people and the language they were using. And I was like, oh, shit, this isn't going to get us anywhere. And I realized that I'm only now talking to the people who already agree with me and already feel the pain and frustration and empathy that I feel. And I'm not really reaching out now to anyone because they presume I don't like them or that I don't think they're intelligent or I don't think they're redeemable because of the stances that I take. And I'm now... an unhelpful presence and the pandemic was kind of like cruelty on steroids in the way that all of us spoke to each other and that was when I kind of took a back seat and started to become quieter I started to listen more and pay attention and think oh fuck the kids are watching us and now this is how they're going to talk to each other not online but in school in person what am I going to do to I guess it's like a carbon footprint isn't it it's like how do I how do I atone for anything that I would have helped contribute as to the impatient and graceless way that I would speak to the people that were oppressing me? And I know it's 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 not popular to talk now about offering any kind of grace or empathy or understanding to those who are either sitting by while you're harmed or who are participating in actively, you know, benefiting from harming people like you. But it is sort of the only way that we're ever going to make any actual progress is by appealing to those who have power over us and getting them to empathise with us. And so I guess I have been doing a very public journey via my podcast and my Instagram of trying to shift the way that I talk, shift my understanding and remind people that we are all a product of our environment. We are all a product of some form of trauma or fear and that where most of our behaviour on all political sides is coming from is trauma and fear. It's not all just ignorance. We always conflate ignorance and evil. And some people find me frustrating or weak in some way for taking this stance, which is fine. But I feel the most certain of anything I've ever done that leading people to a path of actual unity rather than any kind of vengeance is the only way out of this mess and the only way to really help the next generation. So Mm. that's where I'm at. Yeah. One of my favorite things about you is your willingness to tackle really complex issues here. So I I wanna pull out just a couple of things here. So that frustration, that irritation, that impatience, I think that's something that so many people feel like Things have been screwed up for so long. There's this like pent up rage and pent up frustration. And back, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we didn't have the public square that social media is. We didn't have that kind of visibility that social media is. And so you couldn't see the impact of less than skilled delivery of frustration. You couldn't see the impact of 
harm in your words the way that we can see now. And I think that there was a little bit more solidarity in what you just described early on. Mm. I think about zine culture, right? Like back in the 90s, like, yes, let's talk about our frustration and become a unified force in targeting harm coming at us from others. But that's that world no longer exists. It's changed. It's also the added thing of being a woman and never being heard anywhere your whole life. And mm. then 2015 happens and it's the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And suddenly after especially if you're like a person in the public eye after decades of us only ever being asked, so what do you eat in a day? Mm. Suddenly we're being asked, so what do you think of these huge, complicated, historical social infrastructures that have harmed people like you? And unpack your trauma and bleed out your trauma so that we can believe you, that yeah. you have a right to speak. So qualify your right to speak by telling us everything personal about you that then will be used against you later. And so it was a chaotic mess like we didn't have practice I didn't have practice of having mm -hmm. this megaphone but I also knew that like okay I have the megaphone now it feels callous to put it down when I have an opportunity and I know that I'm a like a strong communicator and I know I've seen myself be able to get shit done and change policy or get myself to congress or you know make an impact on people so I just felt like it was my responsibility but I didn't know what I was doing I wasn't media trained I'm not a politician and while I don't regret the sentiment of what I've been trying to do and I don't regret the the positive impact I've had I definitely feel very comfortable being accountable for the messy part of that and I never think it's too late to change I never think it's too late because otherwise what is the point of activism if we don't believe fundamentally in the change of human beings and individual and social mass social change literally what is social justice work so I think like okay you know what I can recognize I haven't been perfectly helpful all the time how do I remedy that and how do I bring everyone along for the lesson because we demonize learning so much we demonize mistakes so much even though they're such a compulsory part of growth and so if other people aren't willing to own up to their mistakes I am and they can just quietly privately join my journey because I've got nothing to lose because I'm so deeply disinterested in other people's approval mm -hmm. there's something so powerful about being willing to go first to be visible in the process that you are living in. I mean, you've been really open that at various times in your life, the the things being thrown back at you did actual damage, right? Like mm -hmm. this was, from what I understand, like this is part of why you started really talking about mental health issues and started talking about shame and started talking about the things that we do, particularly to women. Part of that was understanding what this vitriol did to you and seeing what that did mm -hmm. to the people around you. Yeah, well, if you get dehumanized, it's very hard to stay mm -hmm. capable of never dehumanizing anyone else. You know, it's a sort of, it's a it's a a trauma loop. And so what I'm seeing increasingly in society that I don't think I've been a part of is the last few years of like cruel and deliberate dehumanizing. I was just pissed off and speaking in a callous and sometimes rude way. I think, you know, when I called Piers Morgan a shit stain smeared across our country, I don't think I moved any great political needle. I was angry, but I also wasn't picking someone less powerful than me. And I wasn't, I wasn't trying to like harm him, but it was still a rude and embarrassing thing to say. And I regret stooping to his low. Mm -hmm. 
because that's how he communicates with other people in a in an unkind way and I I took the vitriol and I spewed it back and that just creates a cycle of vitriol yeah and what we're seeing now is just like a, a an like an, a really odd comfort with dehumanizing each other that's leading to it becoming easier and easier to do that and we're seeing younger and younger people capable of it before their brains have fully formed and that's really dangerous because the part part of our brain that has empathy we can switch off we do it every time we walk past a homeless person that we don't stop to help and get housing we do it every time we scroll past after we've seen a terrible fire or a terrible earthquake in the world if we were constantly giving out our empathy all the time Clement, clementine morrigan talks about this amazingly that like you know we wouldn't be able to survive if we were constantly engaged in our empathy and so you can choose when to switch it off and we are teaching very young people who haven't yet neurologically fully formed to switch it off far more frequently than is actually appropriate, which is going to lead to a desensitized, an increasingly desensitized, miserable and lonely generation. And I've always cared most about the kids. And that's what a lot of my diet work was protecting the kids from diet culture and, and fat phobia. And I have a social responsibility as an adult who can see it now and can see what it's doing to people my age and older to try to raise the alarm about what our collective behavior is doing to them because they are innocent bystanders in all of this. Do you know the term process conversation? Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at KNIX.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. 
Hey, before we get back to this episode, we have been talking about how we talk about things. Figuring out what to say to somebody when you need support or more space or you need to clarify a boundary, that stuff is not easy. If you want some help figuring out what to say and how to say it, come chat with me. Once a month, live Q&A clinic. You can come ask your questions on grief and love and relationships and communication skills. You can ask for a script that you can carry with you into a conversation that you really need to have, but you've been avoiding or dreading because you don't know what to say. Come join me once a month, live Q&A clinic. All of the details are at patreon.com backslash Megan Devine, or you can click the link in the show notes. Process conversations are the conversations that we have around how we're talking to each other instead of what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. And what I've seen and heard you talking about actually for the last couple of years is without naming it a process conversation, a process conversation. So bringing awareness to hold up, everything is really inflamed right now. Can we stop and look at the ways that we're engaging with each other? Can we stop and look at the ways that we're talking to each other? You did this in your gaslighting highlight. I don't remember how long ago that was, but it was about three years ago. Was it that long? Oh gosh, time is meaningless. Mm -hmm. So like about three years ago, when you pointed out- Oh no, but out, I've been constantly updating it. That's why it feels have more you? recent because we have endless new examples of, exactly. of the media in the world demonizing women, which is what it's about. Yeah. And we'll link to that, everybody, so you know what we're talking about. But that gaslighting highlight was where you talked about, can we look at the very predictable pattern, the very predictable system of what we do to women in the spotlight? We hold them up as these amazing people, and then the second they cross some invisible boundary, we cut them down. Like, it is very predictable mm. and expected and horrendous and all of these things. And, like, you have this habit <laughs> of taking that step back and trying to see what is the pattern, what is the mechanism, what is getting repeated here over and over and over again. And you've applied that to the way that we treat celebrities, the way that we treat people of color, the way that we treat mental health issues, mm -hmm. right? And I love that you have been applying that to social justice and the ways that we penalize people for learning or needing to learn. You and I had a very brief conversation via DMs a while ago. You shared how you're hearing that people are afraid to ask questions about gender or ask questions about race or really anything they're interested in learning more about because we're, we're so quick to demonize and punish people who don't get things perfect. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that a little bit? And also just what you, what you see happening, because you are awesome at, at seeing that bigger picture. And also, what's, what's at risk if we don't start looking at how we talk to each other? My brain works in patterns, and I'm always looking for the pattern in everything. And I think that's what kind of draws me to social justice, is that social justice feels very clear in that a lot it's the same system of oppression just being used again and again for different groups all of the time mm. and then everything happens exactly the same way and yet somehow we're always still surprised and so I feel very strongly when I see these patterns occur again to just lay them out 
because I believe people are very, very intelligent generally. And I I think that we're just in a lot of kind of deliberate chaos amplified by the media and social media algorithms that are just bombarding us with so much fucking information all the time that then we can't clearly see the patterns. And so that's why I'm obsessed with laying those out. Uh, when it comes to, because a few things were said there, when it comes to people feeling not f- not safe to ask questions, that's something that I feel very passionately about because, you know, I think the old saying of treat others as you would wish to be treated yourself really applies to education where we have to remind ourselves like, of the question, how do I best learn? Do I learn best when I am being fear-mongered and shamed and ridiculed? Or do I learn best when I have an open space to air what I think now and have it challenged in a way that doesn't undermine my intelligence or my nature? You know, I was talking to this lovely therapist on online. We were DMing about some of these issues and she was telling me that a lot of the young people who come into her clinic are increasingly unable to separate opinion from identity. Like we grew up mm-hmm. in an age where you had your identity, who you were, and then you had your opinions and your beliefs. And those were considered transient because they are transient because upon new information, we change our mind. That's what we're supposed to do. But nowadays, it is not transient. The opinion that you have now, however old you are, wherever you have grown up, whoever your family is, that is a tattoo. It is considered a tattoo of who you are, even if you're related to someone who has those opinions and you are still speaking to that person in any way, you then inherit the tattoo of that marking your identity. And it's very dangerous because then when people challenge your opinions now, if you are someone who's intertwined your, your opinions with your whole identity, then it feels like they're attacking who you fundamentally are. And they're not. They're disagreeing with your opinion or they should be just disagreeing with your opinion. Far too often we are now saying you're a bad person for thinking that. Whereas we're not taking into account that a lot of us are reacting to what we're seeing and we are all seeing different things based on algorithms. One of the most important, while it wasn't a perfect documentary, but documentaries that came out was the one, I think it was called like the social, what was it called? Social social experiment. experiment. Yeah, where they explain that via whatever you click on, you are going to see a different version of the same world event to someone else. So we think we're all seeing the same exact thing and that the other people who have a different take on it are just stupid or ignorant or evil. We're not realizing that they are seeing a completely different narrative. So I did my own social experiment and I decided to have two Twitter accounts, one in which I would click on leftist things and one in which I would click on centrist or right wing things. And I was seeing two completely different narratives and being exposed to completely different information on both platforms. I'm the same person, same age, same gender on both in, in the same location, which was fucking terrifying because these are delivered. These all these different arguments are delivered in often intelligent and convincing ways by smart and educated people who know how to manipulate and know how to communicate an idea. So if I, at 36, am looking at these two things being like, oh God, now I actually, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. What the fuck are young people supposed mm-hmm. to do? And they don't know that this is happening. They don't really understand. And of course, social media suppresses. I posted about this and my my Instagram always gets like several hundred thousand like likes and millions of views. And it got like 3000 likes and very few people were able to even see it. And I was like, of course, this conversation is being suppressed by the very platforms that are perpetuating it. If you put this clip up, it won't get any views. 
It will It'll not. get suppressed and then you, your Instagram account will become less visible in general. So I'm just trying to figure out ways that I can communicate that we are all being manipulated to shout at each other, scream at each other, judge each other. We're engaging in very archaic tribalism because if we stop screaming at each other and pointing at each other and arguing and nitpicking over the smaller things in life, then we will be able to see that there are a very small group of people, very high up, who are not giving any of us, regardless of our political ideology, healthcare or clean water or enough food for the people who are here or housing or in social and mental health support. We'll all look at them. They don't want us to look at them because then they'll actually have to fix this. So they're better with us just trying to own each other and trying to humiliate each other and trying to categorize and segregate one another. And that to me is very disturbing and I don't want to be a part of that. So I've I've taken myself out of all of this and now I am I'm I think the most punk thing I can do is now move towards love and unity. And I think we see these waves happen again and again in history. And so that's where I'm at now. And I hope that's where I'm always going to be at. I hope I never get dragged back into tribalism because it's really bad for us. And it, it often historically has ended up in, in some people getting very badly hurt. Yeah. I love that this is the most punk thing we can do is move in that direction. Mm. It's like all of this noise has made us misidentify the enemy an enemy in very big air quotes here because the enemy isn't a person right it's that belief that we have to attack things that make us feel stuff right mm -hmm. to me everything is grief right we know this but like the that we're having a feeling come up and we don't know what to do with it and so we go on that offensive attack thing and what I hear you calling for again and again and again is take a beat and check in with yourself and get out of social media where where it's not going to help you learn better skills to communicate and to really listen to yourself but take that step back to be thoughtful to do what you need to connect and take care of yourself and ask questions and build those relationships and those communities where it is okay to not be sure and also, like I said, you know, at the beginning of that very long rant of mine, that you should try to, if you wish to educate others or inform others, inform them in a way that you would be able to actively receive and implement that information. It is almost never from shouting and finger pointing. It really isn't. I mean, I think also if we look at just from a transactional point of view here, like if your goal is to reduce harm, if your goal is to help people change policy or change their hearts or whatever it is to make the world a safer, more just and equitable place, is what you're doing making that more likely, mm -hmm. right? I think we get so like, we, we conflate things like Constantly. that frustration that how dare you, do you realize what's at stake? How dare you get it wrong and not be perfect? Like that is not, somebody getting it wrong is not the enemy. Mm -hmm. That kind of nuanced conversation is really difficult when we're being fed very specific information and not getting the whole story. It's like that impulsive hit of, I feel so helpless attacking somebody 
is the only action I can take. Yeah, because it feels empowering for a moment, mm. you know, and and there's also like there's so many kind of like basic childlike psychologies in our behaviors of like, let's all point at them so that no one looks at me or this thing has been said in the group or publicly online a thousand times, but I'm going to reiterate it loudly as I can so that everyone else knows that I'm in the tribe. I'm one of the don't don't ostracize me. Keep me inside. So I'm going to I'm going to do it not really to make an impact on the person that I'm trying to chastise or criticize. I'm doing it to make myself safe so that I will be included in the tribe because the safety in numbers, you know, we have our brains haven't updated in thousands of years. So we still think that we are out in the wild, that negative tweets or negative comments or text messages at school even are a saber toothed tiger. We have the same physical and chemical reaction to emotional and psychological threats that we do to actual tangible immediate physical threats. And so this is a very stressful time and I, I just cannot help but believe that it is deliberately stressful. I think this is a more organized chaos than we realize because division sells newspapers, outrage. You know, when I was young, sex used to sell, but now sex has been so oversaturated by social media and by the internet because pornography has kind of bled into every art, every area of art. But sex is kind of like, yeah, I've seen one tip, seen them all, you know, like we've, we've just seen it. I've seen it all. And so I'm no longer shocked when I see nudity and nor is anyone else. And younger and younger people are taking their clothes off. And so we're kind of hyper-normalized to that. Outrage is what took over as the new sex. And I think Donald Trump was when the media realized, oh, this is our comeback. The media was dying. That was the conversation is, you know, everyone was going out of business. Everyone was going out of print. Donald Trump comes in, outrage starts to sell newspapers, moral superiority starts to sell newspapers, fear starts to sell newspapers. And all of a sudden, like... Seven years ago, all these new publications were suddenly popping up out of nowhere. Hundreds of new publications. People were starting their own quote-unquote media brands. And it was all based on terrifying people. And again, it's very easy to have power and control over people that you have terrified. It is easy to manipulate people who are afraid, who need a leader, who need a guide, who need somewhere to feel safe, who need a group. And tribalism is a very easy way to make people feel safe, but they're not because no one's coming to help you. It doesn't matter how good you were on Twitter or who you poked your finger at or who you've ostracized in your life or if you have the right or wrong opinion. It doesn't matter. None of you have health care if you need it. That's free. None of you have healthy food. None of you have healthy water. None of you like it, there's just... You don't have appropriate health care, social care. Crime is going up. Unhoused people are going up in numbers. Children are involved in that. It is so naive for us to think that finger wagging on social media is going to make any of us safer. All it's doing is pushing us far apart. The reason the Me Too movement was so powerful is because a bunch of people, I'm talking about women in particular, had been turned against each other from the beginning of this industry. And kind of from the beginning of time, we're taught that we're all each other's competitors. But in this industry, that was um, a, a really big part of the journey is that she's going to take your place and there's only room for one. There's room for thousands of men, but only one woman. So you look out for her. And that was an amazing way to keep us all separated from each other because we didn't open up with each other. We didn't share. We didn't share experiences. We thought of everything as like a resource that we have to hoard. And there was a very big scarcity mindset. Now I say we, I wasn't really in this industry until post Me Too, but this is what I've heard from people I've been around, you know, from the beginning. And I've definitely still like felt traces of it. 
Me Too brought everyone together and for the first time everyone said what they'd experienced out loud. And then we realised, oh shit, this wasn't just me. I thought it was just me all along. This was everyone. This is a huge, pervasive culture and system. And then we organised together against the infrastructure that was allowing, that was creating a perfect, a perfect environment for us all to be abused without telling anyone and without seeking justice because we had no power and protection and safety in numbers. So that's how I know from lived experience that the only way we can fix the huge social infrastructure problems that harm everyone of both political or all political ideologies is if we come together and start speaking about what we have in common rather than our very minor differences if we really boil it down to the big things in life. It's so easy, I think, for people to like be with you, be with you with everything you're saying until you get to that end part where we have to start listening to the people we disagree with. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, no, you don't understand what's at risk here. And I, I feel like you do understand what's at risk here. Yes. But I also think we have conflated being upset by someone or triggered by someone with being as bad as actually having your rights taken away, right? We've become so hyperbolic around the words like trauma or triggered. And I know that I'm not a psychologist. It's not my place to say this, but I do know that we are being actively moved away from resilience as a generation, we're being told mm. no one must upset you. No, no one, no one, you know, we must have boundaries. And these are all things that I subscribe to and I believe in. Like we should have boundaries. We shouldn't be actively traumatized. We should practice self-preservation. But we are making people feel afraid to feel anything now. And that is stopping them from have, engaging with people who might say something very upsetting. And so we're bowing out of the conversation and we're saying nobody platform them, nobody talk to them. And I understand where that comes from. I've definitely engaged with and felt that way before. But if we become too afraid to talk to the people that we disagree with because we are afraid they're going to make us feel very uncomfortable feelings, it's understandable to, to fear that. We are not going to have a single chance at changing their mind. We're going to look like we don't have an argument. We're going to look like we don't have anything meaningful to say. We are not going to engage their humanity and their empathy. Segregation is not the way. Refusing to platform people you disagree with is not actually the way. They are the people we most need to engage with right now so we can all figure out that we have a lot in common and we have bigger shit to deal with together and then we can get to the smaller shit. And I'm very concerned at how we are being taught to not speak to anyone who's upsetting in any way. You know, I was talking to Dr. Sarah Traveller, who's a brilliant, brilliant human being uh, on my podcast. And she was telling me that universities now, if someone is coming to speak at your university who you do not like or find triggering, someone who you're not being forced to listen to, but just knowing that they're coming to your university and they might spew words that could incite things that you find dangerous or upsetting, then you're offered a safe space, which has bubbles and cookies and milk and coloring books. These are for young adults. It is a, a literal infantilizing of the next group of our next leaders and thinkers mm. and voters, mm. et cetera, our society. That's not how we need to be teaching resilience. We do need people to learn how to create their own inner safe space, but we also need to teach the next generation how to tolerate someone's ignorance, not, not because they need to then accept it, 
but tolerate listening to it and coming back with a well-thought-out, critical response. We need to bring back debate. We are discouraging debate. We are demonising debate or engaging with the opposition. And if we do that, nothing, I promise you, nothing will ever change. And I know that you know that. But unfortunately, if you look back through history, no minority ever just magically gained the right to what they wanted. They did have to fight for it. They did have to go to extreme measures sometimes of either harm or self-harm. But ultimately, it was always when the oppressor, the enough people on the side of the oppression went, you know what, this is actually fucking crazy. I don't stand by this anymore. They lost power and they relented. We will stop that from happening if we demonize and ostracize everyone on the opposition. Then there'll be no one on that side to stop and say, you know what, this is fucked. And it's not fair. And it is annoying and it is exhausting, but we couldn't have more historical proof to know that that's the only way we can ever get anything back. And, and we know that this way isn't working because I feel like we are losing rights at a speed that is terrifying. And I'm deeply concerned that's going to keep happening. And then there's so much work to undo f for young people. Forever. When you say we need to let people say whatever they want at universities in a public sphere, people get really upset about that because yeah. they're like, wait a minute, these are violent people. The mm -hmm. whole reason that fascism is rising is because we're allowing it to take so much of the the public attention and so much of the public sphere and like letting these people say the quiet parts out loud. I, I think that this gets so confusing because we're not condoning violence. We're not condoning mm -hmm. any of that stuff. What I just heard you say was, it's not in our best interest to soothe ourselves away from our outrage with bubbles and coloring books. It is in our best interest to think about how do we want to talk about this? What is actually making people attracted to these ideas that are so divisive and mm -hmm. so hate-filled and so fear-filled? How are we going to talk about this and how are we going to come together in this so that violence isn't running all over the place, right? Like, I'm not saying this yeah. very well, partly because I'm like, yes, I love everything you're saying here. <laughs> it's hard for me to find my brain, but... No, but I think it's fair. I think I think you're kind of like agreeing with me and challenging me at the same time, which I think is fair. And I, and I agree. I agree that we shouldn't have to be in this situation. Mm. But if you do not learn how to convincingly engage people, you're never going to have a chance at changing their mind. Yes. And I think... You know, the, the Trump situation was so shocking because a lot of these people had felt all these thoughts all along and just hadn't said them. He didn't create racism. He unearthed what had been sitting there hiding during the entire Obama presidency. But because the mainstream narrative became very left, a lot of people felt like, well, I can't say how I really feel. And then it burst out of them. Right. So it was there all along. And lifting the lid and it seeping out isn't the problem. We don't need to just always be like on defense for the symptoms. We need to figure out the cause of this fear, right? And, and we need to work on that together as a giant group of people who can say, I'm scared or I'm angry or I'm this, that and the other and unpack that because we're all just grown up children, right? We're all just like operating from the same kind of like five fundamental feelings. And I think that's just getting lost on us and I think that we forget that just because we push for public obedience, that doesn't change the way someone privately votes. 
And that is a very, very, very important thing to get across to young people right now, to all people right now, is that just because we are pushing people into silence or obedience, it does not actually impact what they are going to do when they are alone in a voting booth. And we're seeing that via lots of you know, outcomes, political outcomes that we find very surprising. And we find it very surprising because we've managed to silence people into a kind of like obedient state without actually changing their mind. And then when they have the freedom and the privacy, they go and do whatever they want. Or they don't engage at all, which is almost as bad. I think that not engaging at all is something that's happening so often. And this is true on a social scale. It's also true on a really intimate scale, right? Like. Yeah because we're afraid of saying the wrong thing to a friend of ours who's going through a hard time, we don't say anything at all. And then if they say, you know, you not saying anything doesn't feel good to me, then we're like, okay, well, then I'm really not saying anything. Like for me, what I hear you saying, you know, foundationally is like, this all comes down to how scared we are, how much pain we're in, and how much we're afraid of loss and Mm -hmm. irrelevance and losing connections and losing the people we love or the worlds that we love. And what I hear you saying over and over and over again through so many different things that you tackle is, can we please start talking about how hard it is to be human and how scared we are and how much pain we're in? Because not talking about it is killing us personally, collectively, communally, globally now those might not be that might not be a frame that you apply to yourself but from from where I sit like this is what I have watched in following you for the years that I followed you is continually coming back to hold up please we are human and can we talk about how hard that is sometimes because literally not talking about it is killing us yeah and and people are committing suicide, we're killing ourselves. But mm-hmm. also I'm just, as you know, going back to the patterns, I'm obsessed with the pattern. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with the solution. I was always obsessed with the solution. This was never something that I was doing just to have an outlet for my pain because I'm quite a detached person. I feel the frustration and the rage and all that kind of thing, but I've always wanted to just fix it. And so now I might not be having the emotionally, you know, party approved, reaction in saying like this isn't working and demonizing and ostracizing people even if they are the people that demonize and ostracize us isn't working but I'm very very focused on a resolution and on restoration and restoration is something we need to do on an individual and mass social scale and that's the only way we can now be helpful is to push for more love and grace in the world because we are only going to continue to see a rise of evil if we are contributing to animosity in any way. And I slip. My temper gets the better of me. It's okay. It's okay to slip. I use foul language sometimes, especially for politicians, because I do dehumanize them because they have an unhuman level of power. But it's still not okay to use the language that I use sometimes. Because... When a kid or a teenager sees that and sees that going viral because it's on social media and it was vitriolic and so therefore it's going to get the most attention, more so than anything reasonable, I say. They're not going to look at that in the context of me telling truth to the highest level of power. They're just going to see me talking to another human being like that and they're going to go home and talk to their sibling or their friend at school that way. And the last time I did that, I was like, this is the, I hope, the last time I'm ever going to do this where I let my temper get the better of me. 
because I'm not around children, I don't want children, I forget about the children. And now that my friends are all having kids, they've all had babies since my last outburst. And suddenly I have this like tangible example of the next generation where I can actually see them and I can see their little minds and I can see how fast they're learning and how fast they're absorbing everything around them. It has given me a complete shift without needing to be a parent as to my sense of responsibility in this world and as to how my carelessness is something that I cannot condone once I'm aware of it. I love this point that like with such grace that you offer yourself while also being responsible. Like looking back over a few decades here, it's like I did what I thought was the most powerful and effective way to use my voice back then. And I can see what I was doing, but I look back now and that wasn't appropriate. And I'm going to do what I can now to make things better. And like, this is literally how we grow and develop as human beings. It's not that we get things right once and we're done. That Mm -hmm. is actually death. But looking at the impact on yourself, on others, on the world, how am I doing this? How am I voicing this? Yeah, it's constant incremental progress. That's all life is. Life is supposed to be constant incremental progress. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be perfection. Pushing for perfection is the enemy of progress. It is ridiculous. It is utopian. And it's literally getting the opposite of the desired effect and result. I think cooking things back to understanding what we're longing for. Mm-hmm. And on a biological basis, we are all longing for love, connection, and safety. And the question to ask is, is what I'm doing right now contributing to that? It's it's really not. And, you know, you your work is a lot in grief and the area of grief and the impact of that and I think what we are feeling as a collective grief we are feeling you know we have statistics hard statistics that prove that loneliness is at the highest numbers we've ever seen it like people have a lack of community especially in the west you know people are something like 60 or 70 percent of of citizens of these huge countries that feel so connected and active and cosmopolitan are saying they feel desperately desperately lonely that is not just because of the fact that they may not have a lot of people physically in their life. There is a general culture of hyper-individualism and a lonely feeling of I can't tell anyone who I really am because if I'm not perfect, I will be ostracized. We have to make space for people's mess. Not, I'm not talking about hatred. I'm talking about mess, misunderstandings, mistakes. We have to because... People are killing themselves. And even the people who aren't actively hurting themselves, loneliness is being proven to now be more dangerous for you than alcohol or cigarettes as an impact on your physical health and your stress levels. You know, there's hormone regulation that is needed from physical touch. We're not, we're not going near each other. We're, so, we're just afraid. Everyone feels like a potential enemy. And so this kind of social contagion of who do I have to ostracize next leaves us individuals also feeling very lonely. Because if you're looking for perfect people, you're not going to find them. You're going to end up pushing everyone away. And then all that's left is you. And that worries me. And that's the collective grief that I think we are all feeling. And and that's what I'm pushing against. Because if my work is in mental health, I want everyone to be happy. Regardless of how they grew up, regardless of what their family's political ideology is, or even their current or former political ideology is, I want everyone to be happy and healthy. That's how we make a happy, healthy society. You've said... We're all on the same side here, the side of love, Mm -hmm. which I think really encapsulates 
everything you've said and everything that you're trying to do is to call people back into their humanity and look at the way they are relating to themselves and relating to each other and relating to the world from there, which is not perfection, it's process. And listen, we might not all love each other, but everyone loves someone. And that someone is going to be impacted by a culture in which we are against each other and vitriolic, or they're going to be impacted by a, a lack of safety in our society, like active physical safety, or they're going to be impacted by pollution, or they're going to be impacted by dirty water or sickness, or not being able to pay your healthcare bills because they're so exploitative in this country. Someone you love is going to be hurt. You might not love everyone. You might not love whole groups of people. You cannot ever escape the fact that someone you love is going to get hurt by all of these massive crises if we don't all work together and fix this shit and create space for tolerance and create space for equal rights and create space for people to be allowed to be themselves. And so that's where I'm coming from. You know, like when I talk about abortion, I've stopped just coming from a place of like, my body, my choice, and fuck you if you want to tell me what to do with my body. You know, I think we all got a bit on that. You know, I'm someone who's a very loud abortion advocate. Now I'm like, hey, all right, let's just talk to you in a way you can understand. You're very worried. A lot of you politically who are against abortion are also politically against immigrants coming in. Those are citizens who can work, who can contribute to our economy and who can pay taxes. They're not dependents. They're hugely independent, highly skilled a lot of the time. So you're afraid of those people coming in, but you're not afraid of the a million babies a year that you are now wanting to force to be born who are dependents for the next 18 years, who are going to grow up without the necessary mental health stability if they're not wanted or if they can't be parented, they might end up in a foster care system, which is very well-intentioned, but deeply broken in this country. They are more likely to have their parents or themselves have to go into crime of some sort in order to be able to pay the bills because we have a cost of living crisis. So have you thought about what the uptick in crime and the medical resources being even more thinly spread and a million dependents a year pouring into this country with no social infrastructure to help young parents, especially young mothers with childcare or paying for formula? We have a shortage of baby formula in this country. Is that a society that you definitely want to live in? Do you definitely want to vote in favour of a society that is even more crowded, forcibly crowded, in huge unsustainable numbers, with not enough resources for everyone, are you going to enjoy what that society looks like because you took this one moral stance about something that was never really going to affect you because you weren't going to adopt those kids who are, you are in no way impacted by the decisions of another person as to what they do with their own body and their future? but you are very much so impacted by the society you create with the decision you make regarding this. Mm. Of course I'm angry that people want to take away other people's bodily rights, but you can't explain it like that because that's not where they're coming from. They're coming from a place of fear and scarcity and moral superiority, so you have to appeal to that with logic and break down what the world looks like if they vote the way that they are voting. And that's how you get through to people. And when I said it like that on The View got 10 million likes and then went completely fucking super viral and more people listened to me than if I was just scolding them about their moral morals and their you know how archaic their behavior is and after that I felt very like sure of my path that's such a powerful example because again I think that that we're such a binary 
culture, right? Like for us or against us kind of thing here and the stakes are so high, you have to do all this stuff. But that example that you just gave is perfect because we're not saying don't try to change policies, don't try to change behavior that impinge on others' rights, like all of this stuff. It's like listen for the pain at the root of the choices they're making, at the root of the policies they're voting for. Because if you don't hear their very human pain, we're not going to change the policies that get enacted. There's something ferocious in that for me that the way that we create the world that we most want is not by demonizing the people who would take it from us, but by hearing their humanity and answering that and helping them see what you're voting for is actually creating what you're afraid of. Can we talk about that? And mm-hmm. that that is a million times more effective. It's a million times more effective in getting the world that we want, but it's also a million times more effective in our own health and our own relationship and the stability of our own nervous systems because we're not continually stoking that outrage machine that might feel good in the moment but doesn't carry us. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to feel a little bit of discomfort in order to deepen and grow our relationships. It just reminds me of what you were talking about earlier is that we are so intolerant of discomfort that we will not listen for what is needed to strengthen our relationships, right? So if you're trying to if you're trying to help somebody who's going through any kind of hard time and they say actually what you're doing is not helpful, If you're having a reaction of, well, I have good intentions, my heart is in the right place, cut me some slack, like neither of us are gonna get what we want, Mm -hmm. right? Like that person wants to be, truly wants to be helpful, their intentions are good. The person who's having a hard time truly wants to feel supported. But if we can't have a dialogue about what's true, because we're afraid of that discomfort, because we're afraid of our feelings, then nobody is getting what they want. So to me, like that's the microcosm, that's the intimate level of, what you've been talking about all along is it is okay to have conflict in relationship. It is okay to have discomfort. It is okay to fail each other. What isn't working for us is demonizing each other for failure, for not Mm -hmm. getting it right, because that makes us not willing to have conversations about what would feel healing, what would feel like growth, what would feel like connection, because that is actually what we all want. And what I hear you doing is taking that out onto a much wider scale. Yeah, we also just don't really have enough conversations from a young enough age around around rejection. Mm. So we take rejection very badly. And I also think that this generation, and this is, you know, this is maybe going to sound a bit like me reaching for something, but we are a dopamine deficient generation because there are so many ways in which our dopamine is being exhausted because we're hyper-stimulated. And there's also things in our social environment and our food that are impacting our dopamine receptors, right? So people who don't have enough dopamine are massively, massively impacted extra hard by rejection. It feels physically painful to them. And if no one's even being taught at a baseline, even someone with normal dopamine levels, how to receive rejection and that rejection is okay. It's just a, a sign that you need to move differently in some way. 
either move on to a different person or a different job or move on from this action that you thought would be the correct action that's not in fact the correct action rejection feels so awful and like this terrible stain on us because again we demonize mistakes we demonize learning we demonize growth we look at it as a pathetic thing and that's incredibly sad because it's the most noble thing is being willing to change, being open to change, being open to hearing someone. And so I do think that that is a big problem is the fact that we just don't know enough about rejection. We don't understand dopamine. We don't understand the human psyche and we speak in ways that don't account for that at all. So we need how to learn how to effectively give rejection and tell someone what you're doing is not right or this is not right for you and we need to learn how to receive rejection more appropriately i'm very good at receiving rejection i don't know why i think it's because i'm a slightly desensitized person perhaps but i just i'm logic based and so when i know something isn't working i would like to learn how to fix it or whether i should just cut my losses and you know move away and i think that i would love to be able to share the peace that i have in life of being okay with rejection social rejection whatever rejection for my own group rejection of another group i would like to share that piece because it's a much nicer way to move through the world is looking at rejection as pointers rather than an attack or a death sentence a social death sentence or a death sentence of a relationship yes and we come back to like this is the way that i frame that is that process conversation but i love that you put this in learning that rejection is not a moral judgment it is a boundary it is yeah an, a, it's a about tab- self-protection not rejection of you yeah and it's also like rejection is in a lot of ways a bid for deeper connection these things sound like they're high concept because they're about big social things but mm. really it all boils down to the same things that babies need right babies need love babies need to be allowed to express when they need love or a cuddle or a shit or some milk we're all just massive babies who just have been taught to no longer advocate for ourselves. We've been taught from the age of two onwards not to advocate for our needs, to bury our needs, to find our needs embarrassing and pathetic, to find it embarrassing to reach out and say I'm lonely, to find it embarrassing to say I'm sad, to be embarrassed to say I need a cuddle. I need more. You know, Oliver Twist taught us the shame in asking for more. But my point is, is that I think that we we need to get back to the innocence that got robbed from us when we were taught to stop telling the truth about how we feel and to stop advocating for what we need. Because when we don't tell people they don't know and we kind of expect them to psychically intuit what we need, but that's not possible because we're all so different. We're all products of such different experiences. Even if we have the same skin color and the same age and same gender, life shapes us all in such different ways. And so we can't all intuit each other's needs because we all each have such different needs and different approaches. We just need to learn how to fucking communicate. If we can all just learn how to communicate our needs and the needs of others with some more kindness and humanity on all sides, we can get out of this mess before it's too late. I love that. Everything comes down to the ability to communicate and to listen which is what you've pointed out again and again and again through so many different facets of this life and being willing to take the heat for that 
in the service of the world that we long for, which is incredible. Thank you for that so much. That's all right. I'm like a Teflon person. I, you know, I was one of the first people to really come out swinging the way that I did about diet culture and eating disorder stuff and going up against the media and going up against the bullying of different people. And I took a lot of heat when I did that. It wasn't just all claps and clicks. I took a lot of heat, a lot of death threats, a lot of rape threats, a lot of criticism. I lost a lot of work, a lot of, you know, opportunities for doing so. But now I'm willing to be, to take the onslaught of rage because I'm now moving in the opposite direction. I'm, I feel like I was built to maybe be that crash test tummy for society and I'm so obsessed with accountability because I think it's really healing and so I'm moving forward the way that I did before with just as much accountability as I could muster and trying to show people that I, a, a real piece of shit in some ways, who left school at 16 and is also isn't educated therefore and is very flawed and was very mentally ill and raised a little bit by wolves at times because my family were also very ill. It's like I'm a deeply problematic person. I have deeply problematic thoughts and beliefs and behaviours at times. And so if I can change and keep being willing to change even so publicly, then you can too. But I'll be the one that takes the flames and you can get behind me and then we can figure this shit out together. That's not because I'm some great hero. I think there's something wrong with me. <laughs> but it has made me kind of perfect for this position. And so until it takes my health away or my mental health, I'll keep doing it. I was going to ask you if, think, if you think there's any hope for us, but I think you just answered that. I'm full of hope. I'm full of hope. All of everything is is based in optimism. My approach has just changed to a far more hopeful one. I love that. I think that's a great spot for us to wrap up. I am obviously going to link to Iway. I'm going to link to your Instagram. Thanks. I'm going to point people to the gaslighting highlight on your Instagram because I think that's a really good introduction to the ways that you take that step back and talk about the systems in which we operate. We will be right back, everybody, with your questions to carry with you. I have several to share with you right after this break. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Each week, I leave you with some questions to carry with you until we meet again. Okay. My list of questions and comments on this episode is very long, and I am not going to subject you to all of them. So I'm just going to pick one from my list. Jamila and I spent a lot of time talking about social movements, which honestly, social movements are just personal, individual losses, personal needs multiplied at scale, right? Think about that. Social movements are just personal, individual losses, personal needs multiplied at scale. I love that Jamila spoke right into that, right into those individual fears and those individual desires inside social change itself. Like we fight for the things that we're trying to protect. Her example was if you want to protect bodily autonomy, then screeching at people that they have to respect bodily autonomy isn't going to be effective because it's not an issue they care about. If they care about other perceived threats to their survival, that's what we need to engage with. That's what we need to address. I mean, basically what Jamila was saying there is what are their fears? Where is their human soft spot? Where are they scared? Can we listen for that and speak to it? Can we listen for their pain so that we might all join together, maybe from different starting points and arrive at the same destination? In this case, in Jamila's example, it was safeguarding bodily autonomy, but this really does apply to anything. Listening for pain and speaking into it, addressing the pain in the room. I mean, it's the whole foundation of this show, right? It's the whole foundation of the work that I've been doing for the last 10 years, this world that we are trying to build here together. How do we listen for pain and shift up the ways we respond to it? It is kind of accurate, right? That like so much of activism, so much of cancel culture is kind of just unskilled yelling right now. And it's like, we, of course we need boundaries and, and all of that stuff. This isn't like a free for all where everybody gets to do what they want, but that practice of listening for pain and using the ways that we speak to each other, that scaffolding of the ways we communicate, using that to build the world we want. Like there's just so much power in that. That's one of the things that I'm going to carry with me from this conversation is that reminder of how much power there is in the ways we listen and the ways we communicate and whether we build a world or destroy a world by the ways we choose to communicate. Yeah. So I'm carrying that with me 
And I am carrying one more thing with me because it feels important. Whether it is okay to make mistakes. Now, I'm not going to go into this because that would be like a whole other thing. Another like two hours of me doing a recap here. But I'm going to be reflecting on whether it is okay to make mistakes. I'm curious what stood out for you in today's show. I know we touched on a whole lot of things. Everybody's going to take something different from the show, but I do hope you found something to hold on to. Also, if you did, I would love to hear about it. You can leave comments on social media at Refuge in Grief. You could leave a review for the show on your favorite platform. I want to know how this conversation affected you and what you're thinking about, and if it sparked any interesting conversations with the people in your life. Let me know. You can follow the show at It's OK Pod on TikTok and Refuge in Grief everywhere else to see video clips from the show. Use the hashtag It's OK Pod on all platforms so not only I can find you, but others can too. None of us are entirely okay, and it's time we start talking about that together. Yeah? It's okay that you're not okay. You're in good company. And seriously, these process conversations, these conversations around how we talk about the things we care about, the things we need, they are so important. And I'm really glad you're here. That is it for this week, everybody. Remember to subscribe to the show, leave a review, get your own conversations going by sharing the show with your people. Coming up next week, it is the lead vocalist for one of my all-time favorite bands, Margot Timmons of the Cowboy Junkies. Now, you do know their music, even if you're not sure you recognize the name. Google it. Follow the show on your favorite platforms so you don't miss an episode. It's Okay That You're Not Okay, the podcast is written and produced by me, Megan Devine. Executive producer is Amy Brown, co-produced by Elizabeth Fazio with logistical and social media support from Micah. Post-production and editing by Houston Tilly, music provided by Wavecrush, and background noise and a slightly delayed production schedule provided by the sudden road construction outside my house, which is, yes, improving the infrastructure, and I'm glad they're here too. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. 
<laughs> Ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.